Hello everyone, my name's Luke. Uh, I'm going to be doing four readings today. And our theme today is that we should follow Jesus' example and our Bible readings explain this. Here are four challenges and invitations. <clears throat> the first is love. This comes from 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Number two is forgive. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 31 to chapter 5, verse 2 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Number three, serve. This is John chapter 13, uh, verse 3 to 5 and 12 to 15. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Finally, number four, suffer. Peter chapter 2, verse 20 to 25 says, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Here ends the reading. Well, it's a great delight to be here tonight and a great privilege to preach to you. Let's pray together. Lord our God, you've made us in your image 
and you are transforming us into the image and likeness of our glorious Lord Jesus by the power of your Spirit. Forgive us our sins and help us to follow Jesus, to love, to forgive, to serve and to suffer, that we too may live to your glory. We ask these prayers in Christ our Saviour's name. Amen. Tonight we're thinking about Jesus as our example and one way in which Christians have tried to think their way into this subject uh, in the past is by asking the question, what would Jesus do? It's quite a difficult, to answer, uh, difficult question to answer, isn't it, when you start thinking about specifics. So, for example, would Jesus use a mobile phone? Well, the answer is, if he'd had a, he could have no doubt created a mobile phone, but there were no power, what's it, thingy-be-bobs webs running around, so he would have just been talking to himself, as many people do when they pretend to be talking to somebody else on their mobile phone. Or uh, would Jesus be vaccinated? I won't answer that question because I might get into trouble if I do answer it. Would Jesus follow a Mediterranean diet? Well, the answer is probably yes, actually. My friend Rhys Bazant, who is sitting among us, a man full of wisdom, tells me that there are bracelets you can buy with WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? But that at Kurong Bookshop, where you can buy such bracelets, they are the most stolen object in the <laughs> bookshop. Well, I suppose the people who steal them need them, don't they? And they might think perhaps Jesus wouldn't steal a What Would Jesus Do? bracelet. But then Jesus wouldn't need a What Would Jesus Do? <laughs> bracelet anyway. So I'm sure he would not, if he had been to Kurong, he wouldn't have stolen one. But I think the question, what would Jesus do, or how can we follow Jesus' example, is actually, in the Bible, a very deep question and a very significant question. What would Jesus do, or how can we follow Jesus' example, is an important question because we humans, men and women, are made in the image of God. We're made to be likenesses of God. We're made to be representations of God, representatives of God, advertisements for God, a sign of God. So when someone looks at you, they're meant to think, you remind me of somebody I know. Oh, that's right, it's God. That's a shock, isn't it? That's what it is to be an image of God. That's what images were in the Old Testament. An image in a temple, like a, in, a, in one of the shrines in the ancient Near East, it might be a rabbit or a, a, um, a, um, an orangutan or a, um, a snake. Well, that was meant to remind the people of the God, you see. 
But God won't have any images in his temple because it's human beings who are his representatives, images of him. But also it's important because Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, put off the old self which is corrupted by its sinful desires, deceitful desires, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So that transformation that every believer in Jesus Christ should be constantly undergoing is one in which we put off the old identity, the old self, the corrupted uh, identity and self, and put on a new self, Paul describes it, uh, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, the more you follow God and trust God, the more godly you are, the better reminder of God you are to other people. Not only that, but Christ is the image of the invisible God in both his humanity and divinity. We read that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. So we are images of God, but Christ is the image of God. And if we are uh, followers of Christ and being shaped by Christ, then we'll become more and more shaped in the image of Christ, thus in the image of the invisible God. That's a magnificent destiny, isn't it? Did you know that was your future? Did you know that was your calling? Did you know that's what's what's meant to be happening to you? That you're more and more like Christ, and so more and more like God. Well, what does this mean? Uh, The New Testament tells us very clearly what it is to be like Christ, to imitate Christ, to follow Christ. And on each, in each example I'll bring tonight, that is uh, love and forgive and serve and suffer, the New Testament points us to Christ's suffering and death on the cross. These are four fundamental values which should shape who we are, what choices we make, what good we can do in the world, and choices which form who we become. Let's think about love. We read in 1 John, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Let me tell you about the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. Her name was Heather. She was an old age pensioner and she lived in the public housing uh, estates in Paran. She had been very ill and she could only move around with a walker thing but after the service one day she said to me with her, with her face full of joy that she was so pleased because the local council had agreed to give her some money so she could provide lunch each day for her neighbours. So each morning she went down to the market, bought the food, took it home, cooked the lunch, put the lunch on a tray to take around to her neighbours. 
And she said, I always buy a bunch of flowers so I can put a flower on everybody's tray so they know that they're special. Now, the beautiful thing was, she was not boasting. She was saying, this is such a joyful thing to do and I'm so pleased to be doing it. And I thought to myself, your beauty reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he was the perfect example of love. And your life is shaped by his love, so you love other people. We often define our lives, don't we, by what makes me feel good, what, make, what meets my needs, what makes me happy. Where we learn here that what should shape our lives is are we loving other people? It's a, it's, it's a simple question, isn't it? But what a demanding question it is. At times, what an irritating question it is. Because if we're loving other people, we're putting their needs ahead of our own. We're thinking outside our box to think who they are and how we can help them best of all. It means when we come to church, we don't just talk to our friends. Anybody can love a friend. But we talk to people we may not have met before. It means we care for people and don't use them. And please notice the language used in 1 John. Uh, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That is, no sacrifice is too great to make for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's be quiet for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to direct our thinking, showing us new ways to love, reinforcing the love we have for our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Imprinting this value in our lives. To follow Christ, to have Christ as our example, is to love one another. The second uh, value is to forgive. So from Ephesians uh, chapter 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Makes the Ephesian church sound fun, doesn't it? <laughs> Imagine that every Sunday night, bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander and malice. That would be a fun church to go to, wouldn't it? Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, 
just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, not just Christ's example, but God's example, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. Well, I think forgiveness is a really important topic for us to think about today. It's a big issue in our society, isn't it? If we express the wrong opinion, or have the wrong values, or wear the wrong clothes, will we be unfriended or cancelled? Is there a possibility of forgiveness in our society? I think our society is becoming more and more unforgiving, intolerant, unable to forgive. The, follow, the following comment is not a political statement, but I did read the autobiography of Senator John Button, who recounted the moment when the Labour Party in Victoria expelled a naughty member for life and 100 years. That was certainly vindictive, wasn't it? Just in case he came back from the dead and <laughs> would still find himself not a member of the Labour Party. That's not a political comment, just a, a funny example. So don't get stressed about it. But one of the awful things about not forgiving people is the longer you do it, the harder it is to do. The longer you hold a grudge or resentment, the harder it is to change the way you think about somebody. So when I was, uh, first became a minister, uh, I used to be sent by the minister I worked for to uh, old people's homes, that's what they were called back in the 1820s or whenever it was. And... Uh, the saddest thing was to find... That was a joke. It's all right, you're allowed to smile. <laughs> but, but the saddest thing was to find people who were consumed with unforgiveness. I can remember one lady saying about her sister, I haven't spoken to her for 30 years. And thinking how sad that was. Perhaps the sister had done something wrong 30 years ago, but this lady was hanging on to her unforgiveness and would not let it go. And... If you've, if you've been unforgiving for 30 years, it's very hard to change your mind, isn't it? Because you've built your whole life around this unforgiveness. It's so paralyzing, so awful. And I think forgiveness is now more complicated because so few people actually express public repentance for their sins. I was talking to a neighbor whom I met recently he explained to me that he wasn't a Christian, but we had a good discussion about public life, and he said, people in public life don't admit that they've done wrong to others. We agreed that was the case. So I, he'd been a Methodist in early years. I said, there's a bit of Methodism still in you, isn't there? Because you, you recognise the need for people to say, I've done something wrong. We discussed the various ways in which people look as if they're saying, I've done something wrong, but don't. So, I feel I have let myself down <laughs> is a nice way of saying I'm sorry for myself but not sorry for what I've done. 
or I'm sorry you feel hurt, which then puts the blame on the other person for feeling hurt when they shouldn't feel hurt. Or, I'm full of remorse. Well, remorse means feeling sorry for yourself because you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean I have done something wrong and I'm apologising to you. And if you listen carefully, lots of people who give a public apology now don't. We should get our money back, I reckon. We should say, no, that wasn't actually an apology. It was just a bit of fluff. Well, C.S. Lewis wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others. Wow. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. This is not to say that if other people sin against us and hurt us, that they haven't done wrong. It's not diminishing the offence, nor diminishing the hurt and damage they've done to us. But C.S. Lewis is making the point that Christ loved us and the other person as well, and gave himself up for us, and this great reality, this great truth, must shape our unforgiveness. We're happy to receive forgiveness from God, but often less happy that other people receive forgiveness from God. We're happy that God forgives us, but not always happy that God forgives others, and we're not often happy to forgive them ourselves. Though, let me say that uh, although no sin is too great to forgive, uh, sins of abuse like sexual abuse or physical abuse or psychological abuse can take years to process in order to achieve a healthy kind of forgiveness. And uh, if that's your situation, my advice is to get professional counselling help to enable you to work through that abuse with the hope that one day there'll be some kind of forgiveness that you can offer and express. Our dear Holy Spirit, please bring to our minds and our memories the forgivenesses we have received from others and thank you for them. And if need be, remind us of people whom we've not forgiven and help us to work towards forgiving them. And please make forgiveness of others a habit of our lives. Love, forgive, serve. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. There could be no humbler task in Jesus' day than washing somebody else's feet. So when we think of belonging to a church and serving our brothers and sisters, 
we should think that no task is too humble for us to do. No task too demeaning. No task too humiliating. I was speaking at a Bible college in Geneva which was running a preacher's conference and the uh, students at the Bible college uh, were doing all the work uh, serving the food and keeping the toilets clean and showing people where to go and stuff like that. So I, I tried to say to every student I met uh, in English, because if, once you start speaking French, they, they tend to speak back at you rather quickly. Uh, anyway, I would say in English, you remind me of somebody I know, it's Jesus. For he was a servant too. So, if you want to know who are the most Christ-like people you know, look for people who serve. Look for people who love. Look for people who forgive. They're the signs of the gospel among us. The beautiful people are those who love and forgive and serve. And the fourth example is to suffer. 1 Peter chapter 2. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is about suffering for Christ. It's about suffering for being a Christian. Well, we don't see Christians put to death every day in Melbourne as happens elsewhere around the world. But there is a kind of suffering which Christians undergo when we open our mouths. For what our society wants us to do is, if we are Christians, to keep quiet about it. If you want to go to church, that's okay. A harmless thing to do. Just don't talk about Jesus Christ. And just don't try and bring Christian values to bear on your life and on the life of our society. And I read a great quote last week about Christians today in the West, listen carefully, not being willing to brave tweetings when the apostles braved beatings. I think that's rather good, isn't it? We're not going to bash, get bashed up for being a Christian, but we may receive unpleasant tweets, which I think is a very funny way to describe an insulting message. A tweet. <laughs> it sounds sweet, but isn't. Uh, what will the world say to us? You're a loser. 
You're a waste of space. You're too old-fashioned. And one of the troubles is we get blamed for all the things that Christians have done wrong in the last 2,000 years. Indeed, I had an aunt, I had a collection of aunts. This one said to me once, having just read something about what Muslims have done in India, she said, you religious people are all the same. So I thought, hmm, we have to put up for that as well. But if you have suffered the end of a friendship, or you have suffered loss for being a Christian, then let me tell you that God is like a good Depression-era housekeeper. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. No prayer, no growth in holiness, no self-discipline, no good deed, no good endeavour, no sacrifice, and no suffering. As Jesus' suffering was productive, so our suffering as followers of Christ is productive as well. For in it, God is honoured and glorified. Holy Spirit, please uh, comfort us when we are hurt because we are Christians and please train us to suffer for Christ in the future. Well, I think I've put before you tonight four of the greatest challenges that human beings face to love, to forgive, to serve, and to suffer. But here are some encouragements. Christ dignified loving, forgiving, serving, and suffering. If the Son of the Eternal God loved, forgave, served and suffered, then there can be no indignity in his followers, loving, forgiving, serving and suffering. Christ turned the world upside down by loving, forgiving, serving and suffering. Actually, he put the world the right way up by being willing to love forgive, serve and suffer. Furthermore, even now we are been, being transformed into Christ's image with ever-increasing glory by the Lord who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. That is, God is working inside us to change us to be more like Christ. It's not that we have to do it on our own. No, God is already making this transformation, this wonderful transformation within us. He's effecting this change. All we have to do is cooperate with that change and act with it as we're told to do in the Scriptures. Furthermore, we have the promise in the Scriptures that God will complete this transformation on the last day. Philippians chapter 3, Christ will change our bodies to be like his glorious body. Or 1 John 3, we shall be like Jesus for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like Jesus on the last day, for we shall see him as he is. Yes, the old motto is right. No cross, no crown. No suffering, no glory.
But where, where should we imitate Christ? Well, the primary message in the New Testament is we do it in the church. Love one another, Jesus said, as I have loved you. That is, God's really interested in not just in individuals in churches, but the shape of the community life. God wants this community to be a loving community in which we love each other. God wants this church to be a serving family in which we serve each other. God wants this church to be a forgiving family in which we quickly forgive each other. And God wants this family, this church, his people, to be those who suffer willingly for the sake of Christ. Those are four signs of a healthy Christ-like church as well as healthy and Christ-like individuals. But what happens, I think, is that we are trained to live this way so we'll live this way in the world. For if we're told, love one another as I have loved you, John 15, 12, so we're reminded in Romans 13, love your neighbour as yourself. I find this immensely difficult in driving, let me tell you. I'm more likely to drive with revenge in my heart than love. You cut in front of me, I'll cut in front of you. Uh, and I sometimes think that other people come out and drive slowly in front of me just to annoy me, intentionally. And I think, why don't you go home? This is my bit of road. I'm in a hurry. I decided to go this way. Get out of my way. And the only way in which I can not drive that way, and I must confess I have driven that way four times in the last two weeks, uh, is by before I drive, I pray that God will help me love my neighbour including white vans and cyclists and lazy pedestrians and people in big trucks. And so as I drive, I pray for God's blessing on each other person on the road, even if they shouldn't be there. <laughs> I'm working towards loving my neighbour on the road. But I want to talk to you now about how we love our neighbour through the work that we do. And I have in mind, especially those of you who are, uh, are training to do some work in the future, as well as those of you who have been trained to do some work. You see, let's think about work. What, what, how do you what do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> People still ask me that question. Uh, I don't plan to grow up, so I refuse to answer it. Uh, well, we think that we, well, I'd, I'm interested in uh, people's teeth. I want to be a dentist. That's a good reason to be a dentist. Or, I want to make money. Well, that's a good reason to work, isn't it, and be trained for work, because you need to look after yourself. Or, I've got a special gift and I should express it in my work. That's a good reason to choose a particular career or vocation or work. But the, the question I love asking people when talking to them about the job they're going to do and thus the training they is how would you love your neighbour by doing that work? It's a great question to ask a banker. How will you love your neighbour? A real estate agent. How will you love your neighbour? A dentist. How will you love your neighbour? 
don't, don't produce too much hurt, is my deep request, you see. For God's kind of arranged the world that we are mutually dependent, aren't we, on each other's work. So, when I get my breakfast in the morning, somebody milked Millie the cow and uh, put the milk in or something or other, which went to the shop and I bought it, and somebody else grew the corn, which produced my cornflakes and so on. And I, in some ways, contribute to other people's welfare, though you may not think so. At the moment, I do try and do so. Okay, so God's made the world that we serve each other by the work we do. That's the point I'm trying to make. And we should try and love our neighbour by not only the work we do, but the way in which we do it. And this gives great dignity, you see, to your studies and your training. Because it means your studies and your training are not just for you to get through the exams, though I hope you do, but actually you, that they're you investing in your future usefulness to other people. You're investing in loving your neighbour in the future. And if you live a long time, you'll be loving neighbours who are yet unborn by investing in your present study at the present time. That's wonderful, isn't it? I was uh, lecturing in Perth uh, the other week and I said to the students, uh, they were theological, Bible college, theological college students, let's pray for the people you'll be serving in 40 years' time. God knows who they are, let's pray for them now. And we might say, well, uh, what happens is, you see, that in, in the training we do, we learn the skills and the knowledge and the ability, and we should learn uh, the values from Christ. So, love, uh, forgive, serve, suffer. But, of course, what actually happens in many training institutions of every kind is that there are values inculcated along with the information and the skills. So you find yourself being shaped by the profession you're joining and its values and the way in which it thinks about life. And let me warn you that that shaping will not only shape the way in which you do your job in the future, but also the way in which you treat your family and other people as well. See, if your job tra trains you, trains you to use people to your advantage. That's how you will do your job in the future and that's how you will live unless you are shaped by Jesus Christ. See, we often ask the question, uh, what will you do? Actually, the more important question is, who will you be when you do what you do? Will you be a caring car mechanic? I hope so. Will you be a loving doctor? I hope so. Will you serve others by sorting out their accounting? I hope so. Will you be loving your customers? Will you be loving those who benefit from your services? Love your neighbour is a very very challenging instruction and it needs to shape not just our private lives but our work lives as well. So
so we need to ask the Holy Spirit to imprint these messages from the Scriptures so deeply in us that they not only get expressed in church with other believers, but also expressed in work as well. May God, by his Spirit, write these lessons, these values from the Scriptures in our lives, our memories, our desires, our plans, our hopes, our present, our future, our words and our actions for Jesus' sake. Now we're going to pray the prayer uh, that I prayed at the beginning of the sermon. We'll pray this together. If you'd like to stand as we pray. An amazing prayer to pray. Lord our God, you have made us in your image and you are transforming us into the image and likeness of our glorious Lord Jesus by the power of Holy Spirit. Forgive us our sins and help us to follow Jesus, to love, to forgive, to serve and to suffer, that we too may live for your glory. We ask these prayers in Christ our Saviour's name. Amen.